Welcome to Remotely Creative, a RimCAD podcast where we talk to artists, designers, and wildcards about how they're surviving in the era of COVID-19 isolation. I'm your host, Rob Flattery, and welcome to the 32nd episode of this podcast. This is going to be our last episode of the first season, so I hope you'll join us back here in January for season two. So I'm really excited today for our guest, Adan De La Garza, a video artist, the mastermind behind Collective Misnomer, and a super all-around cool guy. Adan. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I first heard about you um, on the third episode of this podcast. We had uh, Toby Fike and Matt Harris on. Oh, and, yeah? And they were... Um, I didn't see that one. I need to catch up. Yeah, it's episode three where they made predictions on when COVID was going to end, and they were wrong. Um, oh, well, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Yeah, well, with those two, it doesn't surprise you, but... The fact that no one knew no, knows what the hell this thing is, um, but yeah, it was um, right before there was a uh, collective misnomer um, like live stream event. Okay, so it must have been around like May, April, something like that. Yeah, it's, it was probably it was like week three of the shutdown, yeah. basically. So yeah. probably okay. right at the beginning of April, um, and then uh, so they talked about that, and then. I tuned in and, and watched, um, I think it was like a Friday night. And mm -hmm. then you show up every time I go on uh, Venmo because I sent you like 10 bucks or whatever. Right, yeah. It's like, do you want to send him more money? And I was like, well. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess yeah. I can just accidentally hit that. Um, but yeah, you're like in my little contacts and I don't use Venmo much. So yeah. you know, every time I go in there, it's like, do you want to send him more money? So Yeah, I mean, just feel free to do that. Yeah. Anytime. So, anytime. All right. Yeah, well, I'll always accept. <laughs> not going to say no. Yeah. Um, no, no, never. So, yeah. That was the first time, um, you know, that was right at the beginning of quarantine and like these like events were kind of popping up like live stream or on the internet. Yeah. And um, so what, what is your, so are you all of collective misnomer are you like the founder what what's going on there what's give me some background yeah um so uh collective misnomer started out of um an old collaboration with uh myself and um a friend named christina battle and we were curating video and it, it it's a it's a very similar mission as collective misnomer and she kind of showed me the ropes of like running screenings and doing events and just like even just language of talking with artists and being transparent uh, really laid the foundation for kind of um, doing stuff. And um, so we had done a screening series that had other like some performances and we were trying to do, uh, trying to get a physical space and kind of Denver, it's almost impossible to do so. Um, unless you're super rich. Right. Um, and so um, that happened from about 2013, 2014 to 2016. And um, so when that collaboration ended, um, I, I'm, I'm nervous to say it because, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if you pay attention, you know, I'm the only person in collective misnomer. Mm -hmm. um, but the language is worded as in, in a way it's on a the group. website. Yeah, it's a group. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I started Collective Misnomer, and 
um, with a very similar mission of just doing um, really critical and um, just trying to provide a home for the time-based arts in Denver. And there's really not any consistent representation of like sound, video, or performance art. And, and, I, and I guess Leon has started doing um, performance art month kind mm -hmm. of in early summer. I don't think they really, they didn't house any events. I think they did some streams this, this year. Um, this but, year is an abnormal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like everything. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not in any way um, trying to like hold them accountable. To oh it no, or yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, you know, if it happened in 2020, let's just yeah. scratch that off the books. Yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, with the goal of sort of trying to provide a little bit more consistent representation and also just giving like, um, I don't know, for me, it's it's hard to find ways of showing my own work here mm -hmm. um, because by and large, like most institutions and galleries have no interest in showing anything time-based um, or at least like on a consistent basis. And, or they put it in the um, corner where nobody can. Yeah, or it's, you know, their annual video show and or whatever. And, and you know, those things are fine. And I, I actually prefer like non-gallery representation at this point, because I think it gives you like way more flexibility and I don't have to ask permission to show my own work, mm -hmm. you know? Um, no one owns it. No one can kind of take that ownership from me. Um, and so I started this uh, collective misnomer, which is also a play on this idea of like a collective. And um, in all honesty, the wording for that as a group is like two different things, which is like one, me being really insecure about starting a collective that's by myself and not really wanting to be like this person that does this thing and that be like the image of the whole thing. Um, and say so like Avon does this thing and he is a curator now or whatever. And like, I'm not necessarily interested in being I think about this more as like my art practice mm -hmm. um, in a way that's maybe even closer to like a social practice um, and like being involved in your community and like advocating uh, for the payment of artists. Um, so like, yeah, I don't take any money from these, <clears throat> from collective misnomer. It's just like um, anything that's collected goes into the, to the artists in the screening equally. Mm -hmm. So it's not based on time or like how long your video was or how much I liked it. It just like everyone gets equal representation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you should so run for president, by the way. I, I, would. Um, I think I, I have too many ties to too many ideas that would prevent me from, I mean, but you know what? Who know. knows? Maybe, like uh, yeah, maybe, maybe in four years that sort of stuff won't matter. It's um, going that yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be like, oh, cool! I like, I like all of those vague ideas. Um, that's, that's what we're signing up for, America. Yeah, yeah, just more vague ideas. Twenty twenty four, but yeah. So I think part of me was just like insecure about this idea of starting something with myself at the center, um, and also I wasn't sure if people would show up or take it seriously if they knew it was just me. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted it to feel bigger. 
and I'm, I'm with that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think like a little bit of mystery was important um, for me to feel comfortable doing it. Um, Cause I didn't really want to be the, the only person at like the face of the whole thing. Okay. Um, so the other part of that is that I kind of think about everyone that I'm working with, the artists that we show as like collaborators. And so each screening has like a new member group and we're all kind of part of a, like a mutually invested um, art project. Um, So, you know, I I don't necessarily talk to everyone in the screening about it like that. Um, but I see it as a collaboration and an extension of like an art practice of like working with people and, and advocating for people and their ideas. So um, the answer is yes, I'm. You're, you are one, but also a, a member. Yeah, we are. We are. We are all, I guess. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Kind of like the hair club for men. Yeah. No, I'm also a member. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. Uh, you know, when you put together these screenings, um, so I'll give you a little bit of background and why I'm asking this question. Um, when I was at uh, University of South Florida, we did a um, uh, film festival for two years, and it was it was me and two other guys, and um, the we made made it a free film festival. Like we weren't going to charge um, entry. Um, you also didn't like get any money or. Or, right, yeah, no, you know, it was it was a free entry, but it was there was no return other than a, you know a line on your CV, yeah. um, and you know people would possibly see your stuff. But we, um, I advertised on Rhizome was the only place I advertised. Mm. Um, and this was 2009 ish, yeah. um, and we got gangbusters of of entries. I mean, just yeah. tons, tons. And so we had to watch all these things and it, and, right. and it was about 16 hours of, of watching to curate. Yeah. Um, you know, do you go through that process alone where you just like sit down and watch and see what, uh, oh. yeah. Well, I, I, the only time that I've done an open call was probably the one that you caught at the beginning of the summer, okay. which was the locals only one, which is focused yeah. on Colorado based, um, artists and, um you know i all you know whatever in the in the sake of transparency i was getting a little um kind of grossed out by the way organizations were handling this idea of like artist grants and um like making people compete for money in a moment of like genuine like financial downfall and a pandemic and being like, well, show us what you're making and we'll decide whether or not you're worthy of money. Um, and that was really gross to me. And I was really yeah. kind of, and you know, some of that stuff, like people that got the grants don't need the money. Of course. You know what I mean? That's like, how it works. Yeah. And like, so, you know, your friend got the money or whatever. Your friend was, you know, doing fine financially or didn't need the money. And, um, so I was, realistically, I was like, if you submit through the form, you're gonna be in the show. I didn't say it that way, mm-hmm. but I wasn't interested in 
having um, a regional uh, screening based on my taste while also at that same moment saying people aren't worthy of getting the money. Um, so I was really thinking about it more like a fundraiser for a group of people that are working in a medium that can't often make money showing that stuff here anyways. Um, and so I, I, I didn't want to pit anyone against each other because that's disgusting. Um, and so, yeah, like I watched everything, but I wasn't interested in delegating fund funds. Okay. I, I thought that was the idea was, you know, to, to represent your community, but also give them some money in a moment that they needed. And there was, you know, a handful of, of, um, grad, uh, students that were graduating in that program that couldn't have a show. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, or yeah. they, you know, their institution gave them like a website or something. And, you know, I, I can't imagine the, the letdown of that sort of situation to be like, I, I'll put it online. And that's, yeah. and, you know, I had a really anticlimactic BFA show, but I still got to show it, you know, and I don't know. So I was, I was trying to figure out a way to like be supportive of the, of, of Colorado and um, hopefully people felt like that was accomplished. Then. No, I thought it was great. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I tuned in, I watched it on my TV cause I thought that was the, you know, I turned down the lights. Yeah. My, my wife was, uh, she works in healthcare. And so that was like during the first couple weeks. So she oh. was quarantined like at her, at her work so it was like oh, wow. me me and the dog were like sitting here watching and um you know i think i'm texting toby and i'm like hey where's yours oh never mind i can tell that's yours right there yeah. so um <laughs> uh you know it it was it was good it was it was very nice because it happened early on where everything was kind of it took me out of the space of yeah. of just being worried about because like i said my wife was gone and she took yeah. the cat which the cat's in my lap right now so if you keep seeing that i see an ear yeah across the screen every <laughs> exactly. once in a while. i'm like i don't know what he's doing um so it was really early on you know things were like crazy i didn't i that first couple weeks um you know i just didn't know what was happening you know we had to make the tough decision that like shut the school down and I didn't yeah. get death threats. And I'm, I'm also like, everybody knows me, um, at the school and I'm usually somebody who responds. So like students were like reaching out to me and I'm like, they're like, when is this going to be over? I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm hoping by next term, but you know, so it was really nice to just sit down and just watch, um, you know, watch work. I, I I'll be honest. I didn't think, you know, I thought some, we're better than others, but that's the way, you know, that's what happens when you go to a gallery anyway. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, taste is like that. Yeah, exactly. So I thought it was really nice. And, um, you know, I, I'd i like to, we should talk later about, you know, possible, like, when things get back together, we have a great auditorium at the school. Like, I don't yeah, know yeah, if you've ever been sure. there. Like, we can. Yeah, no, many times. Yeah, I figured, um, you know, we can, we can, I have keys. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, how we kind of jumped into, jumped into that because you're on my Venmo, uh, thing. So I wanted to go <laughs> the, right uh, the into elite that group, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not very big. Um, but uh, you know, how are you? How are you holding up in in COVID land? Um, I'm, you know, for uh, for the moment, okay. We had like, um, I I lost my job in September first, but up to that moment, um, they were essentially paying me to be at home. Okay. Um, so financially. Uh, you know, very comfortable the majority of the year. Um, basically, as soon as we shut down in March and we were going through a transition, I worked at uh, Denver Bike Share okay. or B-Cycle as like a mechanic and truck driver. And we kind of shut down and returned in June, kind of like two days a week. And we were going through a transition um, the city essentially, uh, we needed to renew our permits and the city wanted to have less um, bikes on the street in terms of different companies. Oh, okay. Um, so we were, we were going for the, to be the, the bike monopoly essentially. Yeah. Um, but they ended up going with uh, Lyft and Uber, I think was Boo um, for, so many reasons why those companies suck <laughs> um but um yeah i mean it's i believe it's the longest running bike share in the u.s i could be oh, wrong wow. on that um started in 09 um so denver was ahead of the game like yeah, for years I, I mean that's a huge thing right now so when yeah. you when you're like well it's not now it makes sense it's yeah it's money yeah well and and i think you know part of their decision was that we were a nonprofit, and so the city would have to fund us um, to continue moving forward. Mm -hmm. And with Lyft and Uber, they've got infinite amount of money. So, you know, with the budget being stretched so thin and the economy spiraling down, I'm sure they looked at us and were like, well, we just can't even, why would we throw money at this organization at all? Yeah. Um, so, um, Seems that like was, that would be the one that you'd want to help. Like, oh, right? these guys can can go <laughs> wherever and do whatever the hell they want. But let's let's support the homegrown yeah. nonprofit. But you know, yeah. I'm also not in government. Maybe you should run for mayor. <laughs> yeah, again, we're I'm, gonna get I'm you just, a political office. Yeah, yeah. This podcast. I mean, all right. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> someone start a GoFundMe and a <laughs> uh, petition, and I'll I'll try and follow through. Um, I have a guy. I have a guy. I'll. Oh, okay, I'll great. Yeah. With you. I, I mean, we can talk about my Venmo account later, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, everyone can just start forwarding me cash. Um, and uh, so I, so that happened in September, and um, the apartment we were living in and had lived in for years, um, the building sold in May, and the new landlord was a fucking goblin. Not that any landlords are really good people, um, but the she was just like really making. They they were renovating the entire building, mm -hmm. and when she bought it, I think like five or six of the tenants moved out. It's an eight eight uh, unit building. Oh, um, so there were like three of us in there or something, but they were renovating all the empty spaces. So at like seven in the morning, there's just construction happening from seven until four or five so it was just like sonically a terrible space to be living in 
you know, it's hammers and um, she hired some, some people off of, she found on like Instagram or something. They don't even have like a real website. And they were just like these total bro that uh, were making living there really difficult. So um, we moved out about two weeks ago. So we're okay. in a new place. So there's been a lot of transitions uh, for me, just both with employment and living. And um, we're definitely in a better place now. It's much more quiet, enjoyable. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think. I'm, I think at this point, I'm just looking at how to how to move forward, and um, while also not trying to um, uh, have any sense of uh, this sounds weird, but like you know, I think uh, Americans and like both like also just like men have a really weird relationship with labor and working. Mm -hmm and feeling like your worth comes from the work you're doing. Um, and so trying to like make sure that I don't feel guilty about not having a job at the moment. Um, you can embrace that though. Yeah, no, I mean, this is what Turn I- Turn it to a positive. I, I'm, I'm definitely um, of the mindset that that's like capitalism is totally hazardous for us and on so many levels and but there's always a nagging, like, mm, he's probably get a job soon. <laughs> but um, work from home jobs, I see. Yeah, on TV no, I mean, time. and it, and if, <laughs> and you know, if anything, this has, uh, the pandemic has provided, you know, a lot of clarity to the things that people and capitalism said was impossible. Like, you can definitely work from home. You don't need to go into the office. Yep. You don't. You don't even have to put on pants. You can do your I'm, entire I'm job yeah I'm shorts right now yeah your whole job can be pantsless and it you know you just got to watch where the zoom angle is exactly exactly yeah exactly um yeah you know and i've talked about this on the podcast a few times um i think like episode seven um we had uh candace lambert who's a, a fashion stylist in la and she kind of mentioned that her husband said that um, property um, that uh, commercial property is going to, you know, just be rampant because people are going to realize that they, they don't need a space to yeah. have people work. And so, you know, I've been um, uh, I've been thinking through through that. I'm like, well, I think a lot of these artists run spaces are going to be able to find cheaper like Hopefully. buildings, you know, in the next couple of years, because all these people are going to, there's going to be a lot more commercial space. An, so I'm hoping, exodus. yeah, I'm hoping yeah. that that is a positive that comes out of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of my friends that are in like various tech industries, mostly like programming and stuff like that are seeing their companies just say like, oh yeah, we're getting rid of our office and you can just work from home. And San Francisco is having a lot of this happen too. Like people are just moving out of the city and getting a cabin somewhere and getting a Wi-Fi signal. And then they keep their San Francisco pay yep. and live in a much more rural place and are like, you know, whatever. They're cranking in all this money and living like, you know, middle of Montana or something. That's how the Unabomber <clears throat> started. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, 
hopefully that's not what this causes. <laughs> uh, you know, with all this stuff, that, that seems like a, a step up for the male. Apparently the male is, like um, you're hearing all this about uh, the male and, you know, I don't believe yeah. it. I also bought like 10,000 stamps when I heard, you know, like the male was, was having a problem. So I went and bought, I have Scooby-Doo stamps. I bought like $400 in stamps. I've not sent one letter since that happened. So now I'm trying to figure um, out like, do they. I'll give you my post, my PO box. If you want to send me something. Yeah, totally. I will. Yeah. I've got all these stamps. I've got lots of stuff to send to. So yeah, great. I've got tons of swag is what they call <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> give so. it to me. Yeah, I will. But yeah, I um, you know, I, it's it's so weird that uh, like everything that that's gonna come out of this. I mean, you know, there's restaurants that are obviously going out of business um, yeah. left and right. Um, it went when I my favorite chicken wing spot in Tampa went out of business, and like that, you know, Monday yeah, night, I mean, all you can eat chicken wings. And they, oh, all right, no. like they had the best chicken wings ever. So like normal places, you know, you have your breaded wings or your grilled wings, right? Or, or if they try to grill wings, they screw them up because if you just grill wings on their own, they're all flaccid and they're kind of gross and <laughs> they fry them for like grill? the first six minutes and then grill them for the last four. Nice. Yeah. My, it's funny. Um, my friend in Mexico city is opening up a wing spot. And he was talking about this new um, method where you sous vide them mm -hmm. and then you fry them. Okay. And I was like, that sounds so amazing. He's also, this is like so funny. He's naming one of his wings after me, which is nice. like, I, I feel like I won a prestigious award, you know? Yeah. Like I've never had a food item named after me. That sounds amazing. I'm so excited. <laughs> what? So is it like based on the sauce, based on the prep? uh i think it's just that we're friends <laughs> okay and we we eat hot wings you know like um we nothing wrong with that by the way no no um we went to this wing spot in mexico city that was really good they actually grilled in there and they they do a really good and they had you know like 100 flavors or something um, i'm i'm looking for uh, a wing spot that has a honey garlic sauce that is my jam and i have not found one in denver uh i believe there is one on east colfax um i think it's famous buffalo bills okay but there's it's weird because there's there was one that was like you know buffalo bills or famous buffalo bills and now there's two and i think they were like maybe they were business partners at one point and then they started like rival rival and, exact same yeah but they're like four blocks from each other or something um, that's that's like pats and Geno's in in philadelphia oh in philly yeah which i've been uh, ordering the uh pats cheesesteaks uh like good belly i think where they like send them to you oh what yeah so you can i mean you're paying a premium you're paying like 18 no, bucks a cheesesteak but uh you pay that in denver anyways yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But it's Pat's cheesesteak, you know, with huh. with with the uh, onions and and um, they send you the the which which one which one there has because they're across the street from one another, right? The one with uh, neon is Gino's. The one okay. that looks like it's run down is Pat's, and that's the one and, you want to go to. And the Pat's is the good one, right? Like, yeah, I I feel like I was on tour with Flinching Eye, which Toby was part of or is part of, um, and. 
um, we went to one of them and the, the person who brought us in to perform was like, oh, you don't go to this one because they're like conservative. <laughs> that's that's Geno's. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, then I'll, maybe I'll order one from Pat's. Yeah. Um, it was one of the best Philly cheesesteaks I've ever had in my life. So I think it's 79 bucks for a, a box of four. And, the, you know, Whoa. they overnight them um, on their... I think they're just regular ice, not dry ice. And, you know, uh, you put them in the oven. So fun, fun tip. If you do this, um, cause we've, I've ordered them three times over the, over the summer. <laughs> uh, and my, my best friend's been in town. And so we ordered them the first time. And then when he came back, they had like Pat's once a year does Budweiser cheesesteaks. So they use Budweiser yeah, in, like the, in the meat. Yeah. yeah. And so we got those and then there was no, difference but they put bacon in the the cheese whiz so that was the only only difference but we found out um because you put them in the oven and you cook them and then you just microwave the cheese whiz and yeah. put it on but uh it gets a l little too crunchy like wow. a little too crunchy wrap them in aluminum foil so when you put them in the oven wrap them oh, okay. in aluminum foil and then like the steam kind of keeps it keeps from getting too okay. crunchy. yeah i mean it was good yeah. either way it was just Crunchy, yeah, I might, I might have to, uh, I'll, I'll hit you back up when I place an order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Um, and so I lived outside of Philly for, for a year, and that I was like Philly. 2 a.m., let's go, and the roads in Philly are the worst. Whoever was the, <laughs> the planner of uh, the, the urban planner for Philadelphia, pro he's probably dead now, but his family needs a curse placed upon them because <laughs> you dead end – like you're going down like 12th and you're just going and then you dead end in a, uh, a, a basketball court and, you know, 20 year old white guy at 2 a.m. just trying to find a cheesesteak. Not always the the best. The best method. Let's just put it that way. I had some I had some Google maps wasn't wasn't around. No, you had no. Did you map quest stuff then? Map quest, and then you had to print it out, <laughs> or if you didn't have a printer, you wrote it down. So, when I lived in Nashville, I would I didn't have a smartphone then, mm -hmm. um, so I would just take my laptop with me, which okay. is like, you know, I would put it in the the passenger seat and just throw a map up and be looking at that. It was probably the dumbest thing I could have done. You're not even supposed to text and drive, and I was like trying to look at a screen map. You were allowed to text and drive then because that wasn't a thing. It wasn't a huge thing. I mean, that was 2012, 2013, I think. Yeah. I think, I mean, tennis, uh, uh, Nashville had those weird screens above the freeway too that would, yep. that were literally like, don't text and drive. I remember once they also calculated the amount of people that died on the freeway every year. Now, you know, Tennessee is real big into guilt. It, it, <laughs> it's a southern thing i have a photo that i took with my non-smartphone that said 666 people have died on the freeways in tennessee this year and uh you know i thought that was really indicative of, of the culture that i yeah, was well you know high school um when i was in high school they used to bring you know every couple weeks they would bring a uh they would like drop a car off that you know somebody was drunk driving and that would sit in the parking lot but you know whoever was dropping these things off wasn't really smart about strategically planning them 
So they sometimes put them in the middle of the parking lot and you had to just drive around it. And it would, uh, you know. Sure, that was the point. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it was because <laughs> they had to like redo the traffic patterns to go around it and like mm. put cones up. Like it was just, I think they dropped it off on like a Saturday when no one was around and, you know. Scare they, tactics. Yeah. They, and then um, I think, I want to say it was Johnny Cash, but. I could be wrong, could be like Waylon Jennings or someone, but he was drunk driving, and um, this is years ago. So um, if you're coming like where Watkins was, mm -hmm. right, like, because I got a story about that, that Watkins campus, because there's been about 40 Watkins campuses, yeah, yeah. Since, uh, but that last one. But um, if you're there and then you're going towards Franklin or towards 100 Oaks, Mm -hmm. um, in the backside, um, which is now the Gulch area, I think. Yeah, yeah. So right where, where that was, they had whoever, I think it was Johnny Cash, um, but they took his SUV and hung it over the interstate, and it was like on a crane, just like you drove Spinning. under it, and it was like, don't drink and drive. They had put like a banner underneath it. It was, it was weird, because I always thought it was just going to fall on the interstate, because, you know. I don't know how you chain that thing up. Um, yeah, so the Watkins campus um, in in Nashville, uh, that last campus used to be a movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, like, when I was there, you could see the infrastructure easily. Yeah, so I saw a few movies there, but I saw Rhyme and Reason, which was a documentary about uh, hip-hop. Yeah. Um, and um, I think I've seen it. Yeah, well, opening night, that was the only place in Nashville that it, it played at. Yeah. Um, and... We were there and there was a shooting during the movie. But here's the thing. I don't, there, it was, I would say probably about 30% empty. So, you know, it was like 70% of the, the theater was full and not counting the front part. Um, but there was a shooting in the front mm -hmm. and only two rows got up because nobody heard the shooting. Like we oh. literally got kicked out because the police came in because there was a shooting in theater. Like nobody noticed it. That's how weird that situation was. That happened, uh, I was at Red Rocks. I think it was, it was like Flying Lotus and Nas. Schoolboy Q um, opened and there was like a weird shooting in the parking lot this, that involved Schoolboy Q. And like at, at a certain point during Flying Lotus set, like a bunch of the theater just kind of left. And then we, I, like, I had no idea what was going on. And then when we tried to leave, they were inspecting every single car oh. to make sure people weren't hurt. So it took us like two and a half hours to get out of the parking lot. Yeah, that's, that's not strange for Red Rocks. I've, I've, <laughs> I've left I, a Red Rock show and it took, we got home at like 4 a.m. No. <laughs> And like we left like during the encore, I was like, "This is the encore. They're gonna play three songs. Let's go. We're gonna get out here early." And it still took us like a ridiculous amount of time. So, I'm trying to trying to remember, we went to um, we went to they they had the the big Kid Cudi show there. It was like Kid Cudi, but it was Juicy J, and there was a bunch of other other people. And that one took forever to get out because it was. I was the oldest person there probably. Um, but you know, it was all these teenagers and they were just idiots, idiots. So that, that took a long time to get out. So, 
I remember when I was a kid, I, I'm sure I'm positive. I did idiotic things, but you know, I did at some stupid point, stuff all the time. I still yeah. do stupid stuff. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't know that that'll, I, I like learning, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I like, I like art that makes me feel dumb too. Okay. You know? Like, uh, I like knowing what I don't know. And then, you know, having art experiences that open my eyes a little bit, you know, Get that. I like I, I'm wrong a lot. I like being wrong. Or you like being right. Uh, I mean, yeah, on certain things. I think <laughs> everyone likes being right. I, I, uh, I guess I, I, I like being, uh, I like learning and knowing like, okay, I was wrong at that and, uh, trying to be better at being wrong. <laughs> maybe. And, okay. Yeah. And, accepting and changing it. my mind. Yeah. Changing my mind. And yeah, that's part of evolving. I think, you know, you got to be wrong about something. Well, I'm wrong about stuff every day. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I hope everyone is actually. The president's not, but we're not going. There. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just kidding. Should have said yeah. that, J.K. <laughs> um, so, are you making art during the uh, pandemic? It's, I mean, it seems like you've had like you've moved, you lost your job. There's a lot going on. So yeah, I know that. I I think part of the thing that I was talking about earlier about this guilt. Um, is also part of like trying to like not opt out of the collective grief of the moment also. Um, I'm not someone who really uses art as like a coping mechanism um, or like a, a way of- It's not um, your therapy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure in some way I could talk about it like that, but I, I don't look at it as a way of, of um, escapism or anything. Um, for me, art is like a way of like diving into a form of communication or, um, or just understanding something better um, through research and other things. Um, and with that, I would also say I had to like pause some of my projects because of um, like through like I'm working on a piece about like a sort of um, the essentially like the desertification of earth and so my environmental catastrophe and these sorts of like um like what what is a very dystopian future look like and some of the research i was doing was totally related to like capitalism coming in and wiping out land and through that process exposing new viruses and that's essentially what's happening currently and what had happened and you know you're putting humans into new spaces that aren't there frequently and through that process you get exposed to new things and that's how like viruses develop and so some of that was getting a little too real and I had to like shelve a bunch of stuff I've got like a word document full of like 100 change links of research that I'm like I need to get back into um so there's stuff like that but also like I was able to do really mundane things like I have, you know, 20 terabytes of hard drives that I've been organizing and, you know, just like stuff that I would Come never. Come to my house when you get bored. <laughs> I've got tons. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like, it's just stuff that I wouldn't do right. because other things would take priority. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been able to edit together like projects that I've shelved for a little bit, like, you know, stuff that I shot five or six years ago that I was like, I'll get to it and just haven't been able to. Um, I made a couple new zines and 
you know, so it's, it's stuff that I would probably be doing eventually. Um, but got higher priority. Yeah. Or, or just like, you know, some of the stuff was like, I had to travel to do and I wasn't going to do that. Right. Um, so I didn't do it and I wanted to do, or I was able to like, you know, turn on a hard drive and be like, Oh, there's all these other things that I could be doing and, you know, unearthing this other project and re-editing some existing footage. And, um, so I think the stuff that I have been making and working on has been stuff that already exists. Um, and I just wasn't really prioritizing. Um, yeah. You did the, the piece, uh, protest etiquette. Mm -hmm. uh, you did that like right at the beginning of uh, lockdown That's, or it's was an it older, older footage? It's okay. an older piece um, okay. that I put out. I was able to like, you know, put together earlier in the year, um, but had shot that maybe a year, year and a half ago. Okay. That it's piece has fitting. been, yeah. Well, I mean, I started on that work probably two or three years ago. Okay. I've shot like a couple different versions of it and having to get out into different landscapes and test it out and kind of see, you know, Sometimes uh, it just doesn't look good. Well, this looked good. This yeah. Nice. No, I, I'm good. Yeah, I'm happy with that one. <laughs> okay. But it, you you had to go through the process to get there. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, and um, I feel like I'm just now kind of getting back into the groove where I can start looking at stuff that's a little bit more um, difficult, a little, or just like you know, research like environmental stuff and starting to read books that are are based in research and not just for fun and nice um, yeah so sort of surfacing from that high anxiety space and you've maybe got a few, you got a few weeks and then you're going to be right back into yeah no i'm sure and you know <laughs> if if i if i do too much research i'll probably have to stop doing some research yeah. and and take it easy so yeah i i, I don't think i've um, there's been a couple things that I've sort of just started sussing out and making notes on. Um, and one of them is, is about like uh, the pronunciation of my name and, and sorry, this, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, I, I think part of, part of that conversation is just because I've been thinking about it a lot and, um, you know, I, I, I don't see that many people anymore. So, um, I think I, it's just given me a, another way of thinking about like how we interact and um you know what what and how people think and talk about you and that sort of thing so i think i'm i'm not making you know i'm not like thriving or anything like that but i'm staying busy that's good in, in some way or another yeah I, my my big issue is that you know i work downstairs in my studio mm -hmm. like that's my you know my my day job. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm having to work for my studio. And so when I get done, I turn around and there's a screen back here, but, um, uh, I just don't want to touch any of my equipment don't want to work on anything. I'm just, yeah, I want to get out. And that, yeah. that's my, that's my biggest. Yeah. I, I think the, you know, I remember when I was in grad school, they had me teaching a class at eight in the morning. Yeah, and stupid. I went to I went to school in Boulder and lived in Denver, so I would just sleep in my studio. Okay. Um, but having to sleep in my workspace really messed me up because mm -hmm. um, it you know I'd be up until like three in the morning and be like, oh, I've got to like gotta go to sleep soon. 
<laughs> and that was just like um, the separation between working and not working is, you know, you just don't sleep well. And, you know, you part of, I think, what will emerge from this is also these like weird um, non-separation, separation, uh, like uh, mental spaces from work and, and home. And we're gonna have to figure out how to like really have boundaries with that in a way that's healthy. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get, um, you know, my team, my student affairs team at work. I'm like, I always say it. I think they think I'm joking, but I'm like, go out for a walk. Like, just take a couple yeah. times a day and just go out for a walk and just get away. Because yeah. otherwise you're, you're kind of stuck in the, this is, this is home and work. And I think, yeah. you know, because I think at the first few weeks, especially with my wife gone, first few weeks of, of lockdown, I just worked 24 seven like yeah i couldn't sleep so it's just like working and people are like you're sending me emails at 3 a.m which i found out google has a schedule email tool yeah so yeah that's it's, it's to make you seem more professional and yeah. send that at six in the morning when you've been asleep for three hours exactly well, well <laughs> mine was send it at you know 9 a.m like i'd have it send at regular time right. instead of the 3 a.m kind of yeah. situation so um yeah. So how, how, you know, you kind of talked about it with uh, the collective misnomer thing, how you just kind of gave money, like there was a pool of money and it, and it kind of went out, but how, how can we support artists during this time? I think you just give people money. Okay. If you can, um, you know, I think if you can advocate for your friends, that's always like, I think your friend group, your community will rep you way um, harder than any gallery or curator or anyone. Um, and um, so like, don't take business cards, have people over for dinner. I mean, you know, <laughs> when that's safe to do. I was about to say, um, that's how you get you know, COVID. Have Zoom meetings, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, obviously uh, be safe about it. I, I guess I'm speaking more like communally. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I would say that for the most part, uh, most of the shows on my resume are through friends. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you can organize screenings, if you can organize events um, safely, then do that. I think, you know, um, we only put rules on things that we don't trust. So this idea of, of um, you know, even like nonprofits have this problem where they're like, have to be the middle person between things. Mm -hmm. um, the most direct way of helping is to literally just give people more freedom. Um, and, you know, for some people having more money gives them that freedom. Um, I'm definitely not a pro-capitalist person, but um, under a capitalist place, you have to have some form of money, yep. you know. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the token language is always like, buy more art. Um, but if you're working in the time-based arts, that just doesn't exist. People aren't like, I really want to buy your performance art that I can't see because we can't be in the same space. It just doesn't exist. If you want people to keep making work, you have to find a way to support them financially. 
um, totally. or, you know, feed them, you know, like think about like bare bones, direct action sort of stuff. Like, oh, do you need socks? I've got socks, here's some socks, <laughs> you know, like it might sound, um, you know, there's a ton of mutual aid networks popping up right now that I think are amazing. Um, and even just this idea that we can talk about mutual aid as like something collective people think about or like through popular culture that it's not something that has to be like hugely discussed or explained, um, I think is a really amazing thing to think about. Um, but I think it, it, you don't, we, <laughs> we don't need more nonprofits. We don't need more like um, application systems to like figure out how artists uh, are surviving these things or like how, like I, I really am annoyed with this idea that like everyone needs to be making art about COVID What's, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's there to say? What's there to say? I, and there's, there's a lot to say, but I don't think everyone needs to be it's eight months in. Do we need to, we need to still talk about it? <laughs> yeah, let's just sweep it under the rug exactly. or under a mask and um, not acknowledge it. I mean, you know, like if it's if, part of it, life now is how yeah. it feels. Well, I, I just think like if people need to and have that conversation, that's totally fine. I don't want to see art organizations saying, you know, send us a proposal for how, or like how you're engaging with COVID as an art practice. I just, I, I'm way more interested in what artists think about anything. I don't care what an organization wants artists to think about or rich people want artists to think about. Um, you know, if you're highly invested in, you know, these other ideas, you can still, be invested in those ideas in this moment. I don't think that like right now, everyone needs to be making work about COVID or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think if you can see a direct path to um, supporting people without strings attached, um, you should do that, if that makes oh, sense. No, that makes plenty of sense. I like that, I like that. I'm, you know, and of course my mind's running like, oh, we should do this or that or this, so. I, that's one thing that always comes out of these podcasts is people yeah. say stuff and, and it's not something I thought of. And then I'm like, Ooh, I have ideas now. So, <laughs> um, all right. Last question, future plans, things coming up. You got any, got anything on the horizon that we should, we should pitch. I do. Um, I do have another question though. I just, I just, heard okay. it, but well, I have two more questions. That's fine. Yeah. Um, future plans. Uh, well today, which I think probably I imagine this is, a few weeks out of being shown, but today's the 16th and there is a collective misnomer screening online and for another uh, almost 12 hours um, called uh, A Container of Light, uh, Films of the Sonoran Desert, curated by a really good friend named Nika Kaiser, um, which is part of this series that's going on with collective misnomer where I'm asking people to essentially do another screening of their community of people working in, in the time-based arts. Usually it comes in with some either film or video, but um, that one, uh, Nika's from my hometown, Tucson, Arizona. And so um, that screening is up for another 12 hours. Um, the next one will be, I believe, November 20th. And um, the artist and curator of the next program is named uh, Raven Chacon. And um, he's based out of Albuquerque. And then the next one after that is in December. I'm forgetting the date. Um, and that one is by Lydia Moyer. 
Um, so those are the sort of most tangible things uh, that I have lined up in terms of like organizing. December 18th. 18th. Oh, great. You, you already know. Um, and uh, my Venmo contact will be part of those things. And that's how I'll sort of uh, pay everyone that's involved in those screenings. So. No, that's awesome. I, I, I love that whole, whole thing. So here, here's my last question, actual last question. Yeah. Um, collective misnomer is just email and, and website. There's no social media. We, we do have a Dial Facebook back? and an Instagram, okay. but as of January, I really want to get off of all of those platforms. Okay. Um, I think they're, and I, and I think that this is probably, I'm part of a sort of collective consciousness or group thinking about this. And I think people are, are tired of it. And, um, the political cycle is accelerating that too. And so I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would much rather spend my time um, doing my own work or researching or looking at other work than thinking about Facebook posts or Instagram stories or anything like that. And, you know, I feel like it, I think the, the research shows that you need like seven individual reminders uh, to participate in something, uh, which is, seems like a lot. That seems and, a little absurd. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, you know, this is like from people who run like Kickstarter, Kickstarter, um, campaigns and stuff like that is that you need to be reminded a lot, especially if it's, um, for financing and mm. for, um, attending something. And I, I don't know, I, I really struggle with having to bother people that much. Um, so I, I think at some point we're gonna have a, a shift away from that mindset and we're just gonna have to make conscious decisions about how and what we engage with in a much more deliberate way um, so that we also can have more time for ourselves, um, which may sound selfish, but I think to some yeah, extent is much sense. more healthy. Um, Hopefully we're entering a much more reflective time period where we can. Yeah. I, I hope so. There's a hope there. Anything else you want to, you want to pitch talk about before we end this podcast? I'm, I, I think this has been awesome. Yeah. I mean, um, at, at some point the other collective I'm part of Dizzy Spell. Is that the um, video game one? That's the video game one. I think we're trying to figure out a system of um, like functioning online, maybe sort of like a, I don't know, like a download pack of games that you can, you know, well, you send us a couple bucks and we can send you or, you know, all of the, all of the, the screening series and the um, Dizzy Spell have historically been by donation. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can't afford it, you can't afford it, but you still get to experience um, the work which I think is really important to maintain some sort of um, democratic paywall in some ways, you know, like respective of people's circumstances. Um, hopefully it's people are, uh, it's not just people being greedy and not wanting to pay artists, pay, but, yeah. um, which I think is, you know, totally a part of this. There was this, uh, you know, I thought a lot about right when the quarantine was sort of happening. And I think people were like diving deep into different 
um, forms of, you know, like Netflix and all these other things and uh, listening to a lot of music. And, you know, I think about, I don't have a ton of examples of this in my history, but people that think the arts are totally useless. And during quarantine, it was culture was the only thing thriving. It was the only thing keeping people sane. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope everyone that ever said that to ever, anyone was just like literally sitting in a dark room doing absolutely nothing. Um, like, oh, I'm not going to engage in culture or arts because it's useless. So, yeah, so useless. Um, I don't know. That's a totally side thing. Anyway, no, so. I think it's, I, I, I'm just trying to think. I'm like, okay, what are these people doing? So that's where my mind wonders. So, well awesome this has been great i appreciate you being on Um, no thanks for telling yeah i'm i'm looking forward to uh getting back to reality where people can come um have you over to the school yeah Um, (laughs) you know we'll be back on campus we're kind of slowly starting that but um i i I think um yeah we should talk more about uh you know maybe doing some screenings at the college i think the problem yeah. is it's not downtown Denver, and sometimes that becomes problematic for people. But uh, you know, I mean, we've had like we have been parking. doing nomadic screenings all over Denver, and so I think if people, um, that was my cat. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I'm pro cats, uh, pro dogs in the background. So. She's trying to like get in some blinds. She's looking at me like I should help her. So. You should. That's, that's I, I will. your job. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Um, so, um, yeah, I think um, historically, I think we've had supportive um, supportive groups. Like people will go somewhere if they want to see it. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, we should think, definitely talk. Um, maybe we can all just rent out a drive-in too. Yeah, and that was another thing I was thinking. I was like, we have a you know, a couple big parking lots and we can, we can make yeah, drive-ins are doing super well now. Yeah. So we could, we could figure something out. So, cool, yeah. well, thank you so much for being on here. I look of forward course. to, um, you know, talking to you more. So Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. You can find links and images from today's guest on our website, rimcad.edu forward slash remotely creative. Again, this is our final episode of the first season of Remotely Creative. It's kind of crazy when you think about it that we've been doing this for about 32 weeks, which means we have been in COVID-19 isolation for something like 230 days. I hope you're all managing to make it through this crazy time, and hopefully this podcast has kind of brightened your day a little bit and given you some insights into some really creative people. Many thanks to our team here, Gretchen Marie Schaefer, Chris Daly, Mel Kern, Neely Patton, Josh Smith, and Madeline Austin. I also want to give a huge shout out to my wife, Shelly, for putting up with me through this endeavor, and a huge thank you to the RimCAD community. I hope you will all come back for season two in January of 2021. Until then, take care of yourself and each other.